0: Chapter Two of Weapons of Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Miriam Spiegel. Weapons of Mystery by Joseph Hawking. Chapter Two. Christmas Eve. Just before I reached the drawing room door, Mrs. Temple came up and took me by the arm. We are all going to be very unceremonious, Mr. Blake, said she, and I shall expect my son's friend to make himself perfectly at home. I thanked her heartily, for I began to feel a little strange. We entered the drawing-room together, where I found a number of people had gathered. They were mostly young, although I saw one or two ancient-looking dames who, I supposed, had come to take care of their daughters. I am going to introduce you to everybody, continued the old lady for this is to be a family gathering, and we must all know each other. I know I may not be acting according to the present usages of society, but that does not trouble me a little bit. Accordingly, with the utmost good taste, she introduced me to a number of the people who had been invited. I need make no special mention of most of them. Some of the young ladies simpered, others were frank, some were fairly good-looking, while others were otherwise, and that is about all that could be said." none had sufficient individuality to make a distinct impression upon me the young men were about on a par with the young ladies some lisped and were affected some were natural and manly and i began to think that as far as the people were concerned the christmas gathering would be a somewhat tame affair this thought had scarcely entered my mind when two men entered the room who were certainly not of the ordinary type and will need a few words of description for both were destined, as my story will show, to have considerable influence over my life. I will try to describe the more striking of the two first. He was a young man, not more than thirty-five. He was fairly tall, well-built, and had evidently enjoyed the education and advantages of a man of wealth. His hair was black as a raven's wings, and was brushed in a heavy mass horizontally across his forehead." His eyes were of a color that did not accord with his black hair and swarthy complexion. They were an extremely light gray, and were tinted with a kind of green. They were placed very close together, and, the bridge of the nose being narrow, they appeared sometimes as if only one eye looked upon you. The mouth was well cut, the lips rather thin, which often parted, revealing a set of pearly white teeth there was something positively fascinating about the mouth and yet it betrayed malignity cruelty he was perfectly self-possessed stood straight and had a soldier-like bearing i instinctively felt that this was a man of power one who would endeavour to make his will law his movements were perfectly graceful and from the flutter among the young ladies when he entered i judged he had already spent some little time with them and made no slight impression his companion was much smaller and even darker than he was his every feature indicated that he was not an englishman with small wiry limbs black restless furtive eyes rusty black hair and a somewhat unhealthy colour in his face he formed a great contrast to the man i have just tried to describe i did not like him he seemed to carry a hundred secrets around with him and each one a deadly weapon, he would some day use against any who might offend him. He, too, gave you the idea of power, but it was the power of a subordinate. Instinctively I felt that I should have more to do with these men than with the rest of the company present. Although I have used a page of good paper in describing them, I was only a very few seconds in seeing and realizing what I have written. Both walked up to us, and both smiled on Mrs. Temple, whereupon she introduced them. The first had a peculiar name, at least so it seemed to me. Mr. Herod Voltaire, Mr. Justin Blake, she said, and instantly we were looking into each other's eyes, I felt a strange kind of shiver pass through me. The name of the smaller man was simply that of an Egyptian, Abba Wadi Coffer. The guest called him Mr. Coffer, and this made it as much English as possible scarcely had the formalities of introduction been gone through between the egyptian and myself when my eyes were drawn to the door which was again opening do what i would i could not repress a start for to my surprise i saw my travelling companions enter with miss temple gertrude forrest looking more charming and more beautiful than ever and beside her miss staggles tall gaunt and more forbidding than when in the railway carriage it is no use denying the fact for my secret must sooner or later drop out. My heart began to throb wildly, while my brain seemed on fire. I began to picture myself in conversation with her, and becoming acquainted with her, when I accidentally looked at Herod Voltaire. His eyes were fixed on Miss Forrest, as if held by a magnet, and I fancied I saw a faint colour tinge his cheek. What I am now going to write may appear foolish and unreal, especially when you remember that I was thirty years of age, but the moment I saw his ardent, admiring gaze, I felt madly jealous. The second dinner-bell rang, and so, mechanically offering my arm to a lady who had, I thought, been neglected on account of her plain looks, I followed the guests into the dining-room. Nothing happened there worth recording. We had an old-fashioned dinner, and that is about all I can remember— except that the table looked exceedingly nice i don't think there was much talking evidently the guests were as yet strangers to each other and were only gradually wearing away the restraint that naturally existed i could not see miss gertrude forest for she was sitting on my side of the table but i could see the peculiar eyes of Herod voltaire constantly looking at some one nearly opposite him while he scarcely touched the various dishes that were placed on the table presently dinner came to an end the ladies retired to the drawing-room while the gentlemen prepared to sit over their wine being an abstainer i asked leave to retire with the ladies i did this for two reasons besides my principles of abstinence first i thought the custom a foolish one as well as being harmful and second i hoped by entering the drawing-room early i might have a chance to speak to miss forrest i did not leave alone Two Englishmen also declared themselves to be abstainers and wanted to go with me, while Herod Voltaire likewise asked leave to abide by the rules he had ever followed in the countries in which he had lived. Of course, there was some laughing demur among those who enjoyed their after-dinner wine, but we followed the bent of our inclination and found our way to the drawing-room. Evidently, the ladies were not sorry to see us, for a look of pleasure and surprise greeted us, and soon the conversation became general. Presently, however, our attention was by degrees drawn to that part of the room where Herod Voltaire sat, and I heard him speaking fluently and somewhat smoothly on some subject he was discussing with a young lady. "'Yes, Miss Emery,' he said, "'I think European education is poor, is one-sided. Take, for example, the ordinary English education, and what does it amount to? Arithmetic, and sometimes a little mathematics. Reading, writing, French—' "'sometimes German, and, of course, music and dancing. "'Nearly all are educated in one groove "'until there is in the English mind "'an amount of sameness that becomes monotonous. "'You are speaking of the education of ladies, "'Mr. Voltaire,' said Miss Emery. "'Yes, more particularly, "'although there is but little variation among the men. "'Take your university degrees, "'your Cambridge and Oxford Master of Arts, for example. "'What a poor affair it is.' I have been looking over the subjects of examination, and what are they? A couple of languages, the literature of two or three countries, mathematics, and something else which I have forgotten now. "'You are scarcely correct, sir,' said one of the young men who had come in with me. "'I happen to have passed through Cambridge, and have taken the degree you mention. I found it stiff enough.' "'Not so stiff, when it can be taken at your age,' replied Voltaire, but—' Admitting what you say, you are all cast in the same mould, you study the same subjects, and thus what one of you knows, all know. And what may be your ideas concerning education, said Miss Forrest. Herod Voltaire turned and looked admiringly upon her, and I saw that a blush tinged both their cheeks. My ideas are such as would not find much favour in ordinary English circles, he said smilingly, but I should do away with much of the nonsense of ordinary English education and deal with the more occult sciences. Pardon me, but I do not quite understand you. I will endeavor to make my meaning plain. There are subjects relating to the human body, mind, and soul, which cannot be said to have been really studied at all, except by some recluse here and there who is generally considered mad. You deal with the things which are seen— but think not of the great unsolved spiritual problems of life. For example, the effect of mind upon mind, animal magnetism, mesmerism, biology, and kindred subjects are unknown to you. The secrets of mind and spirit are left unnoticed by you Western people. You do not seek to solve the occult truths which exist in the spirit of all men. You shudder at the problem of what you call death and fancy nothing can be known of the spirit which leaves the world in which you live, whereas there is no such thing as death. The spirits of the so-called dead are living forces all around us, who can tell their condition to those who understand some of the secrets of spiritualism. Nay, more than that. There are occult laws of the soul which, if understood by some powerful mind, can be made to explain some of the deepest mysteries of the universe. For example, A man versed in the secrets of the spirit-life can cause the soul of any human being to leave its clay tenement, and go to the world of the spirits, and learn its secrets. And by the powers of his soul-life, which can be a thousand times strengthened by means of a knowledge of the forces at the command of all, he can summon it back to the body again. Of course I can only hint at these things here, as only the initiated can understand these secret laws but these are the things I would have studied, and thus lift the life of man beyond his poor material surroundings. By this time the drawing-room was pretty well full. Nearly all the men had left their wine, and all were listening intently to what Voltaire was saying. "'You have lived in the East,' said Miss Forrest, evidently fascinated by the strange talk. "'For the last ten years. I spent a year in Cairo,' two more up by the banks of the Nile, among the ruins of ancient cities, where, in spite of the degradation that exists, there are still to be found those who have some wisdom of the past ages. Four years did I live in India among the sages who hold fast to the teachings of Buddha. The three remaining years I have spent in Arabia, Syria, and Chaldea. "'And do you mean to say that what you have mentioned exists in reality?' said Miss Forrest. I have only hinted at what really exists. I could record to you facts that are strange, beyond the imagination of Dumas, so wonderful that afterwards you could believe the story told by your most renowned satirist, Dean Swift. Favour us with one, I suggested. Voltaire looked at me with his green-tinted eyes, as if he would read my inmost thoughts. Evidently his impression of me was not favourable, for a cynical smile curled his lips, and his eyes gleamed with a steely glitter. One has to choose times, occasions, and proper circumstances, in order to tell such facts, he said. I never speak of a sacred thing jestingly. We were all silent. This man had become the center of attraction. Both men and women hung upon his every word. I looked around the room, and I saw a strange interest manifested, except in the face of the Egyptian, Abba Wadi Kafir was looking at the ceiling as if calculating how many square feet there were. Perhaps you find it difficult to believe me, went on Voltaire. The truth is, I am very fortunate in many respects. My way of expressing my thoughts is perhaps distasteful to you. You see, I have lived so long in the East that I have lost much of my European training. Then, my name is unfortunate. Herod killed one of your Christian saints, while Voltaire was an infidel, You English people have strong prejudices, and thus my story would be injured by the narrator. "'Nay, Voltaire,' said Tom Temple, "'we are all friendly listeners here.' "'My good host,' said Voltaire, "'I am sure you are a friendly listener, but I have been telling of Eastern knowledge. One aspect of that knowledge is that the learned can read the minds, the thoughts of those whom they come into contact.' The ladies began to express an intense desire to hear a story of magic and mystery and to assure him that his name was a delightful one. I trust I am not the disciple of either of the men whose name I bear. Certainly I am susceptible to the influence of ladies. And he smiled, thereby showing his white, shining teeth. But I am a great admirer of honest men, whoever they may be, or whatever be their opinion. I am not a follower of Voltaire, although I admire his genius. He believed but little in the powers of the soul, or in the spirit world, i on the other hand believe it to be more real than the world in which we live we are not altogether strangers to stories about spiritualism or mesmerism here said miss forrest but the votaries of these so-called sciences have been and are such miserable specimens of mankind that educated people treat them with derision there was decision and energy in her voice evidently she was not one to be easily deceived or trifled with counterfeits prove reality said voltaire looking searchingly at her besides i seek to impose none of my stories on any one i am not a professional spiritualist psychologist or biologist i simply happen to have lived in countries where these matters are studied and as a consequence have learned some of their mysteries seeing what i have seen and hearing what i have heard i beg to quote your greatest poet there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Your quotation is apropos, she said in reply, but it so happens that I have taken considerable interest in the matter about which you have been speaking, and after seeing various representations of these so-called occult sciences and carefully examining them, I have come to the conclusion that they are only so many fairly clever juggling tricks which have been attempted to deceive credulous people. Moreover, these have been so often exposed by cultured men, that they have no weight with people of intelligence. His eyes gleamed savagely, but he smiled upon her, and said, "'Perhaps I may have an opportunity of undeceiving you, at some time in the near future.' "'Meanwhile you will tell us an eastern story,' said one of the young ladies. "'Pardon me,' replied Voltaire, "'but to-night is Christmas Eve, and as my story might be regarded as heathenish, I will wait for some more favorable time, when your minds will not be influenced by the memories of the birth of the Christian religion. Besides, I know that many of you are longing for other amusement than stories of the unseen. As he spoke, I saw his eyes travel toward Abba Wadi Coffer, and they exchanged glances. Then he looked toward Miss Forrest, and again a look of intelligence passed between him and the Egyptian. Soon after, Coffer began to talk fluently to one of the Misses Temple while several members of the party prepared for charade. Then, when the attention of the guests was drawn towards those who displayed their powers in acting, I saw Voltaire rise and go out, and soon after he was followed by his friend. Acting upon sudden impulse, which I think was caused by the remembrance of the meaning glances that passed between them after Voltaire had looked at Miss Forrest, I followed them out into the silent night. Somehow I felt that this fascinating man did not like me, while I was sure he had been deeply impressed by the woman who had all day travelled with me from London. End of chapter 2